Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, coming to you from the suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I teach at Bucks County Community College. So it has been a couple of months since the last podcast that I published, and as you can probably expect, that is because of the pandemic and the quarantine that's going on here in the United States. Um, Being home, uh, got my kids at home, basically getting up early, trying to get as much work done as I possibly can before the kids start their work and then try to get more work done afterwards and et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure it's a a story that's uh, pretty ubiquitous across across the country right now. So I'm not unique to this. But um, but unfortunately, the podcast has had to uh, be a back burner kind of when I can get to it thing. But uh, we're here for the next episode. Um, things are starting to loosen up here in the Northeast. Um, we're in the yellow in Pennsylvania, phase yellow. And, um, you know, things are starting to get a little bit better. It's um, it's real nice outside and, and uh, we can... Um, get some things in some stores with some common sense social distancing and maybe have something to eat outside at a restaurant, um, you know, just as long as everybody's being smart and safe about it. And I think that uh, I think we're going to all get through this pretty well. Hopefully by the fall, we'll be back to normal school. Um, we'll have to let the data inform that decision. So today, uh, we're going to move on with the skeletal system, and we're going to talk about the way bones form embryonically and the way they grow. So uh, you'll notice some some of these pieces I recorded separately. So this is kind of an intro, and I recorded those explanations separately, so the audio might sound a little bit different. I'm always uh, investing in new equipment and sounding different here and there and trying new ways to soundproof my recording area in my house. So um, so you'll see that there might be some slight audio changes from topic to topic. I hope that's not too distracting. But anyway, I hope you are all well and I hope you're all safe and your loved ones are well. And uh, let's move on with bone formation. First, there's some important terms that you'll need to know. The formation of osseous tissue and its development into bones can be referred to as ossification or osteogenesis. And it's not finished when we're born. It begins during the embryonic phase of development, and it continues until we are full-grown adults. Intramembranous ossification means bone formation within a membrane. It begins about eight weeks after fertilization and it happens in four steps. Step one, the formation of ossification centers. Embryos have a tissue called mesenchyme, which is a combination of mesodermal stem cells and ground substance that eventually gives rise to adult connective tissues like osseous tissue and blood. In the first step of intramembranous ossification, some of these mesenchymal cells in multiple regions begin to divide and differentiate into stem cells called osteoprogenitor cells. Some of those cells develop into osteoblasts and begin to secrete a bone-like substance called osteoid. Osteoid serves as a precursor to true osseous tissue, 
or bone tissue. When you see the suffix OID, it typically refers to something that is similar to the root word. Osteoid tissue is similar to osseous tissue. The regions of the mesenchyme where this takes place are called ossification centers. Step two, calcification of the osteoid. The osteoid easily binds with calcium salts, which accelerates as the concentrations of calcium salts in the tissue rise. This results in a crystallization of the osteoid, converting it from a soft, pliable connective tissue matrix to a harder, more rigid tissue that envelops the osteoblasts in lacunae. At this point, those osteoblasts mature into osteocytes. Step three, formation of primary bone and the periosteum. Calcification of the osteoid results in an immature and unorganized mass of connective tissue called primary bone. It's also known as woven bone. The units of primary bone are trabeculae, like we see in spongy bone. The mesenchyme that remains on the perimeter of the primary bone becomes thicker as it begins to develop into the periosteum that will surround the future bone's cortex. This includes the development of the peripheral osteoblasts of the periosteum and the blood vessels that permeate the new bone and supply it from the inside. Step four, the primary bone develops into mature secondary bone. The osteoblasts found deep to the periosteum secrete more osseous tissue on the periphery of the forming bone on both sides. This action creates a compact bone cortex for the new flat bone. Meanwhile, osteoblasts also deposit new bone to the trabeculae, reorganizing it into mature spongy bone. The typical flat bone appearance of the spongy bone, sandwiched by compact bone, is now complete. The tissue in here is called secondary bone. The mechanism of intramembranous ossification is also utilized throughout life as mature bones are remodeled to withstand the forces we put on them, grow in thickness and diameter, and become stronger. All right, so now we're going to talk about how long bones form, and they use something called endochondral ossification. Most of our bones start out as hyaline cartilage models of bones in the approximate shape and location of the future bones. The osseous tissue begins to form from within those cartilage models between about the 8th and 12th week of development post-fertilization. Endochondral ossification takes place in six steps. Step 1. Chondroblasts produce the hyaline cartilage models by secreting its matrix roughly in the form of human bones, each surrounded by a perichondrium. Eventually, as the matrix becomes firm, the chondroblasts become enclosed within lacunae and mature into chondrocytes. Step 2. Chondrocytes in the middle of the bone begin to enlarge, and they resorb a portion of the cartilage matrix in that region. Adjacent lacunae grow together to become larger holes in the cartilage model, and the remaining matrix in the area begins to calcify. That calcified cartilage becomes a barrier to nutrients, killing the chondrocytes in the middle of the bone 
and leaving larger holes in their place. While the shaft of the model is calcifying, blood vessels from the outside of the model grow through the perichondrium and into the central space left by the chondrocytes. The model becomes a highly vascularized supporting structure while stem cells of the perichondrium begin to divide and differentiate into bone-producing osteoblasts. As the perichondrium is converted into a periosteum, the osteoblasts secrete osteoid tissue around the calcified cartilage. Eventually, this hardens to form a bony collar around the periphery of the bone model's shaft. Step 3. The blood vessels and osteoblasts make their way into the hole left by the chondrocytes in the center of the shaft. That shaft is the future diaphysis. This periosteal bud initiates the secretion of osteoid tissue using the calcified cartilage as a template for creating the shape of the future bone. This is called the primary ossification center. The osseous tissue that matures from the osteoid extends lengthwise toward each end of the model, replacing calcified matrix in its path. Step 4. In the same manner, the opposite ends of the model, the future epiphyses, develop ossification centers of their own, called secondary ossification centers. These typically begin their development at birth, with some even being delayed until later in childhood. Meanwhile, in the diaphysis, osteoclasts break down osseous tissue in the center, carving out the hollow marrow cavity. Step 5. Eventually, all of the calcified cartilage is replaced by osseous tissue, with the exception of the articular cartilage that lines the joint surfaces of bones, and a thin layer of hyaline cartilage separating the epiphysis from the diaphysis. This is called the epiphyseal plate. It's also known as the physis. And finally, step six. As childhood and adolescence continues, the diaphysis continues to grow in length, pushing the epiphyses further from one another, making the whole bone longer. Eventually, we stop growing taller with longer limbs when the cartilage of the epiphyseal plates is also converted to bone. Okay, so that's how bones form embryonically but also bones need to grow. So let's talk about the couple of different ways that bones grow. Long bones don't grow in length by adding layers of bone onto the surface of the epiphyses. Remember, the bone of the epiphyses is covered with a layer of articular cartilage. So rather, a long bone grows in length by making its diaphysis longer and pushing its epiphyses further from one another. This process is called Interstitial growth. The epiphyseal plate of a long bone consists of typical hyaline cartilage in the middle, with a transitional zone on each side where the cartilage simultaneously attaches to the bone of the epiphysis and the diaphysis. It is split into five zones that each play a part in the way a long bone grows in length. Let's take a look at each zone, starting with the one closest to the epiphysis. The zone of reserve cartilage consists of typical hyaline cartilage being reserved, or saved for later. That's because in a growing person, 
the cartilage tissue in this region remains cartilage and does not get replaced by new osseous tissue until growth stops. The word proliferate means to increase rapidly in number. In the zone of proliferating cartilage, chondrocytes are doing just that. They multiply rapidly via mitosis and arrange themselves into columns. The lacunae surrounding the chondrocytes flatten out and they resemble a stack of coins. This is the zone that maintains the thickness of the epiphyseal plate while calcification and osseous tissue begins replacing other regions of it. Hypertrophy means the enlargement of an organ or tissue from the increase in size of its cells. And that brings us to the zone of cell hypertrophy, in which the chondrocytes stop dividing and begin to enlarge, causing the walls of the lacunae to thin out as growing chondrocytes resorb the cartilage matrix of the epiphyseal plate. The zone of calcification has a name that says it all. Minerals, like calcium, are temporarily deposited into the cartilage matrix found between the columns of lacunae created in the zone of proliferating cartilage. Keep in mind that calcified cartilage is not bone tissue. This tissue needs to be replaced by osseous tissue, and that's called ossification. And that leads us to the zone of ossification. In this zone, the lacunae surrounding the chondrocytes break apart. This kills the chondrocytes and creates channels of empty space long ways amidst the cartilage of the epiphyseal plate. Blood vessels and marrow quickly make their way into these channels, bringing osseous stem cells with them. These stem cells differentiate into osteoblasts and begin depositing concentric lamellae of osseous matrix into the region, while osteoclasts dissolve the temporarily calcified cartilage. A layer of spongy bone has now been added to the end of the diaphysis, making it longer, while the zone of cell proliferation replaces the lost part of the growth plate. This region of spongy bone with a compact bone cortex will become the metaphysis of the adult bone. This process continues until adulthood, when the zone of proliferation stops proliferating, allowing the calcification of bone deposition to catch up with it, turning the epiphyseal plate into bone ending the potential for further lengthening of the diaphysis. How quickly the bones grow in childhood, and at what age they stop, is genetically determined and differs from bone to bone. On average, humans stop getting taller between the approximate ages of 15 and 21. Now bones not only grow in length, they also grow in width, thickness, and diameter. This is called appositional growth and it uses the mechanism of intramembranous ossification, the same way some bones form embryonically. In this process, osteoblasts on the surface of the bone and deep to the periosteum secrete osteoid tissue in layers along the circumference of the bone's cortex. These layers are therefore known as circumferential lamellae. If it stopped there, the bone's cortex would get thicker and thicker and heavier and heavier with a relatively tiny marrow cavity. However, osteoclasts associated with the endosteum are simultaneously resorbing osseous tissue from the inside of the marrow cavity, carving it out to remain proportional to the growing diameter of the whole bone. Okay, so that was um, 
bone formation and bone growth. So that pretty much does it for this podcast. I do have another episode that I'm going to be working on really soon. So hopefully it'll be out without this huge long gap in between. And this next episode is where we will start focusing on the muscular system. And hopefully uh, you're taking some summer classes in A&P and this is helping you get through. So uh, I will talk to you soon. Be well. Hey everyone, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. Student Help, the number four, AP. There's a lot of tutor videos on there that I think could be really helpful. I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media, with a special thanks to Bucks County Community College, McGraw-Hill Higher Education, and my family.